You are now listening to Beat the Press with Matt Lombardo and Teron Davenport. Welcome into episode six of the Beat the Press podcast. I'm Matt Lombardo of NJ.com and 97.5 The Fanatic. And each and every week, as always, I am joined to my left by the man, the myth, the legend, none other than Teron Davenport of USA Today's TheEaglesWire.com. And Teron, we are now one step closer, one week closer to Eagles training camp getting underway at the end of July. And we're about to kick it into gear what better time, though, to, than right now to look back at what we've seen in our first impressions of the Eagles rookies so far this spring? Yeah, that's always a, a good thing to do. Look back on the rookie class with what, what the team has coming in and being able to see these guys firsthand. You know, there's, there's definitely some guys I'm excited about. I, I think that, you know, they could get contrib- contributions from both sides of the football. So we'll get into that for sure. No doubt about it. And before we get into that, just want to thank everybody for tuning in, everybody for your continued support here on the podcast. Yeah. And however you're listening, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Beat the Press Pod. I'm at Matt Lombardo975. He's at T Davenport underscore NFL. Some big news over the last couple of weeks, Teron. We are now officially on iTunes. So make sure you subscribe on AdTunes. That's the Beat the Press Podcast. We are now on Stitcher. We yes, are sir. now on SoundCloud. Multiple ways, multiple avenues to tune into the Beat the Press podcast. Hey, man, there's no excuse for missing the show now. There's multiple platforms, so I definitely uh, urge you guys to tune in for good content. Always open for suggestions as well, so anytime you, you have a topic that you would like us to discuss, be sure to send us a message. And this is certainly the time to do that, looking ahead to camp. But before we get there, before we get into July and August, where Doug Peterson says that the Eagles are going to hit, they're going to strap the pads on, and it's going to be a physical camp. It's going to be a real taste for these rookies, these draft picks coming into the NFL of what it is like to compete at the highest level. Because as much as you talk about what happened in rookie camp, as much as you talk about what we can judge from OTAs and minicamp, those were just practices, a handful of them at best, in in shorts and shells, no contact, no Mm -hmm. blitzing. It's about to get real for these rookies to run. Oh, no doubt. It was practice for practice which in turn is going to be practiced for the training, the mini, uh, man, let me get it together, for the preseason games. So it's it's going to be really good just to see these guys in live situations. That's really where you'll be able to see what comes to the table. Sometimes you have guys who may not be the best players in practice, but when it comes time to turn on the lights and, and do what you do in front of the fans and in front of the, you know, the, the coaches in, in live battle, it's a different story. So you could see guys unearth themselves. I mean, you look at years ago, Terrell Davis. I mean, yeah. the, the guy was fourth string, and he went in. And he made that. He blasted one of the 49ers on, on, on kickoff team, and next thing you know, he was in the mix, and he started to get more carries. So there's always a guy that pops up in camp. So I, I don't know who it's going to be, but we could take a look at 
some guys that stood out, so I'm I'm definitely ready to do that with you. Absolutely, and of course, Toronto, if we're going to talk about the Eagles rookie class, no better place to start than with Carson Wentz. He was the prize of this draft class for the Eagles. They made not one but two trades to get in a position to draft him number two overall, and, and there was a lot of conversation during the springtime about what is his impact going to be this year, and I can tell you that from what I saw during the spring, and obviously it is only shorts and shells as we said, but this kid has all of the trappings and all of the tools to become a legitimate franchise quarterback of the future for this team, but it is fairly obvious based on Sam Bradford's performance during the mandatory minicamp and the one or two practices leading up to it that he has distanced himself in terms of being the starting quarterback for this particular season, but Teron, I'll tell you, whether it's the ball placement, whether it's the arm strength, whether it's the mobility in the pocket, whether it is his rapid fire grasp of Doug Peterson's offense, Carson Wentz appears to be worth the price the Eagles paid to go up and get him, and I think that Sam Bradford is going to have a difficult time keeping him off of the field. When you make these trades to go up and get somebody, it's it's hard to imagine, uh, imagine that they won't be uh, in position to challenge for playing time. We'll see what happens. I'm curious how this thing is going to work out. I've been on record saying I think Wentz is going to play this year. Of course, there's been other things that have come out, and we'll see how how that situation matures. But when you look at just what he brings to the table, as you mentioned, the ability to just process everything, I, I think that that's a start. That's what you have to have initially. It's something Andrew Luck struggled with when he first came as far as reciting the, the plays, but that's not something that Wentz has struggled with so far. So we'll see how that works. You talk about the ball placement, the guy's made improvement, yep. throwing the ball deep. He is definitely really good at that touch pass to the sideline on the corner route. So I've been impressed with what I've seen, but as you mentioned, it's helmets and, and shorts, T-shirts, so there's still more to see from him. What, what I liked about Carson Wentz this spring to Ron was the timing that he had with the wide receivers, and it was almost shocking to me early on in the spring that he seemed to have better timing with those wide receivers, and, and it appeared as though maybe even he had a better grasp of Doug Peterson's offense early on during the spring because unlike Sam Bradford, he wasn't throwing behind wide receivers. He wasn't missing the target by, by you know holding on to the football for that split second or too too long whereas Bradford got better at that as the spring wore along and you got to see him kind of grasp that familiarity in the system but the one thing about Carson Wentz he's a bright kid he aced the Wonderlick test and he's coming from a system at North Dakota State that's a pro style that should make this a rather easy transition in terms of just philosophically learning the scheme and then applying that with these players on the field. We talked about that last week, and just coming out of that system as opposed to the spread offenses, it gives them an advantage. So you already see the comfort level developing, and that's what is allowing him to make those throws that you mentioned. So, I listen, um, Carson Wentz is, is, is a quarterback that I think will, will be productive at some point. Will it be this year? We don't know, but uh, definitely at some point – as Sam Bradford acknowledged, I mean, you, you use a high draft pick at some point, it's going to be his team. Sure. So I think it's going to be interesting how it all develops. I think Bradford could actually be productive this year. So maybe he does hold off Carson Wentz. We'll see. 
No doubt about it, Teron. I agree with you there. Next up, as we round through the draft class and the rookie class, third-round pick, Isaac Sayamalu. We didn't get to see too much of him this spring because of the graduation rules and the fact that he had limited reps, but he's somebody that when he does report to the Eagles and when we get to see him in the, the this system, he's somebody that has position versatility, potentially to play guard, potentially to play center. And when you look at the, the offensive line and you start to talk about roster construction and putting together your 53, mm-hmm. as we did a couple of weeks ago, Sayamalu is a guy that could cost a veteran a job because he has the ability to play both guard and center. No doubt about it. He's flexible. He played predominantly center at Oregon State, but he has that guard ability. And when you have a player like that that can occupy two roster spots, that just shoots his value right up the board. And that's why the Eagles are so excited about him. Rest assured, he, he'll probably be in the mix for the, the left guard uh, competition. So we'll see what happens. I mean, that right side is pretty much locked sure. down. But Kelsey is a guy that, Hey, as you get older, your body breaks down. And these you, weren't the coaches that put him into place. These weren't the guys right. that signed him. These weren't the guys that started him. And I think that if we look at Sayamalu, I, I think you pencil him into the 53, obviously. Oh, yeah, but in, in terms there. of a depth chart positioning, he's a guy that, that is going to be battling tooth and nail with somebody like Steven Wisniewski, right. who you signs as a free agent very late in the process. Yeah, a guy like Alan Barber as well. I mean... There's going to be a competition at left guard when you look at this rookie class. He's probably one of the guys that could have one of the quickest impacts. Another guy who might have an immediate impact to run is uh, Wendell Smallwood, fellow fifth-round pick with Sayamalu, running back out of West Virginia. And I know he's somebody that, that you were impressed by coming out of West Virginia in that high-octane aerial attack. But just watching Wendell Smallwood through this spring, Showed a lot of escapability, showed a lot of elusiveness, very crisp cuts. He said to me a couple of times after practice in the locker room that, you know, he feels his best asset is being able to catch the football out of the backfield. That's something you better be able to do in this particular system. You have to be able to be a presence out of the backfield catching the football in a West Coast offense. That's just, in a lot of cases, that is your short, the short passing game is your, your running game. Now, you look at what the Eagles have in the fold. They have a few guys in Barner, Smallwood, and Sproles who can catch the ball. I think Ryan Matthews is a serviceable catcher of the ball out of the backfield as well. But Smallwood is a guy that at West Virginia, they that that offense changed yep. with him. It was initially a high octane passing offense. He was he had to chip on 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 the defensive end and go to his pass routes. He also had to scan. And block inside out, which is something that I talked to him about at his locker. I think he's pretty well prepared to, at some point, take over as the feature back with this team. He likes to run inside. He's a one-cut-and-go type of guy. No wasted movement. He has a a nice stiff arm with him, too. So there's a lot of ability when you look at a guy like that. Obviously, you know, there were some issues that made him drop. But I think that he's a, a guy that could definitely have an impact. I think he's going to contribute right away. Now, not necessarily Tehran as a starter because, as you said, Ryan Matthews sits atop the depth chart, and I do believe that Darren Sproles is going to be worked into this offense more so than just being a special teamer Mm -hmm. and a kick and a punt returner, as was the case under Chip Kelly. But Doug Peterson loves for his backs to catch the ball out of the backfield, and he has, and I know that this is high praise, 
but just watching him in shorts and shells, he has a little bit of that Brian Westbrook-like elusiveness oh, out doubt. there in terms of his you know, ability to make defenders miss in the open field. Even watching him at West Virginia, I saw that. And you saw a glimpse of it live. You remember the practice. And he, yeah. made, he made that move, that jump cut. And I, I said, oh. Yeah, you were all and, over that jump yeah, cut. Yeah, it was, it was nice, man. So those are the type of things that Westbrook was able to do. One of the – and I just did my, my post on, on the all-time Eagles roster, and Brian Westbrook obviously is is a part of that 90 catches, which is a a, a team high, yep. you know, in yep. a season. So It's a lot of balls for any running back to catch. Exactly. And one of the things that Peterson consistently talks about when he discusses Wendell Smallwood is his – special pass-catching ability. So there are different ways that he'll be able to contribute. That third down situation is something that it, it takes a lot to trust a, a rookie on third down because you got a guy. I mean, Sam Bradford is, is a an expensive asset right now. You don't want to put your expensive asset in danger by having a guy who hasn't proven to you that he could block in, on the NFL level. So I think it'll be a little bit of time before he can contribute on third downs. First and second down, I, I think that he could come in and help out right away. And somebody that's going to be tasked with maybe not necessarily protecting the expensive asset that is Sam Bradford, but rather the expensive asset in the future that is Carson Wentz, is Big V. Mm. And Big V is a guy out of TCU that they drafted in the fifth round, and he came out of TCU one of the things that really kind of jumped out at me, Teron, and kind of made me have a bit of an uh-oh moment with him was the fact that he talked to me at his locker about the fact that he feels as though coming out of the system that he was playing in at TCU, he needs to improve on his run blocking, that he has the pass blocking down at the NFL level, but he's not necessarily the run blocker that he'd like to be. And, and again, part of me as a reporter appreciates that level of honesty, but if you're the Eagles and you're drafting somebody that eventually could become either one of your starting tackles or your starting guards, I'd like to believe you pick somebody that's a little more refined than that. I think this is another one of the cases where size matters. And uh, Big V, uh, look at his name, Big right. V. Right. He's a, a big guy. So in the run blocking, as long as you could and, – and this is one of the reasons why you'll notice – these teams that stick to running the football in the fourth quarter, you just see those runs by Derrick Henry go from a 10 to 15 yard or a five yard gain to a 10 to 15 and sometimes right. 25 because defenses wear down. A part of that wearing down is when you have a big body weighing on you and weighing on you and weighing on you, it begins to wear your endurance down. Your stamina goes down because let's face it, I don't care uh, about how big a defensive end is if you have a, a, a tackle alignment leaning on you, yep. it's going to, it's going to wear you down. It's so. about having those road pavers up front and right. it's about getting to the second level in terms of your blockers and blocking the linebacker and, and kind of shoving the defensive tackle out of the way late in the game to create those holes that make three and five yard gains turn into double digit first down type of runs. You got to get your hands on them and drive. And that's something I think they'll continue to work with. We talked about Eugene Chung last last sure. week, and he he's going to be an asset. Obviously, Coach Stoutland as well. So we'll see what happens there. What, what I really liked, Teron, about this draft was that the Eagles kind of ignored the offensive line during the Chip Kelly era, only investing one draft pick in any of those spots, that being Lane Johnson. 
chosen number three overall back in the 2013 draft. You look at what they did this year. They draft Big V. They go out and they also draft Sayamalu. They made a conscious effort to address that position in this draft for the first time in a while. And I don't know how much either one of those picks are going to pay immediate dividends, but it's nice to infuse some youth along an offensive line that other than signing Brandon Brooks during this free agent period, who I think is going to have an immediate and stellar impact on this line, there wasn't a lot of depth and there wasn't a lot of young depth along that front line up until this draft class. Right. I it, Did Chip Kelly draft the offensive lineman at all in his era? Lane Johnson. Well, yeah, Lane one. Johnson, that's right, or early in the era. So, And they just re- renewed him, so yep. uh, that's, that's a good pick. But, yeah, I mean, it's about time you invest in the trenches. I mean, that's so important. So it, it is good with the Eagles. I think in this draft, w- with the limited resources that, that they, they had, I think they fill multiple needs, and there's some other guys we'll talk about that fell for different reasons that really is going to make this rookie class a lot better. So you look at just overall, I think this has the potential to be a solid class for sure. Yeah, you look at Blake Countess, defensive back out of Auburn, who they took in the sixth round with the 196th overall pick. He's somebody that if he's going to make this roster to run, because let's face it, it's a very crowded defensive back room. And one of his fellow rookies, Jalen Mills out of LSU, is kind of poised to make an immediate impact mm-hmm. in that secondary. I think the only way that Countess, and I think that he has a, a, a very dynamic skill set, but I think the only way he makes this team is he needs to come out and show during the preseason and during camp that he can contribute right away on special teams. Yeah, special teams is really his ticket. And when I look at a guy like Blake Countess, I, I, I think of Captain Munnerlyn. You know, he's a guy that came out back in 2009. Um, a smaller guy, but could play corner and safety, but you make your mark on special teams. And that's really how any player, for the most part, especially on defense, you look at a lot of the better teams, they bring you along on defense first, and then that's when you get your opportunity on, uh, excuse me, they bring along on special teams first, and that's when you get your opportunity on defense. So we'll see what happens with Blake Counters. I am. Very excited about Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills is a guy that you saw him come in and show that he belonged. There is really it's it's crazy that he fell as far as he did. Seen him firsthand at the Senior Bowl, watching him at LSU. The guy competed in, in one of the the best conferences. I don't care what anybody says. Sure. SEC is a tough conference. You're going You're against big boy football yeah, down there against the Alabamas of the For world sure. and the uh, old misses of the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going against the Treadwell. You know, there were a couple times I saw them play Alabama, and and he had to come up and he had the opportunity to make a business decision. He didn't, and he tackled Derrick Henry. Those are the things you want to see out of a guy that, that that you're picking, especially that low. He's equivalent to a third round pick. Yep. You know they they didn't have a second round pick in this draft, but in essence they got a guy with that second to third round type talent. And low. they got him in the seventh round, two thirty three overall. And he was a guy, as you said, Teron looked during this spring as if he fit right in. I think he's a bright kid, very well-spoken. The off-the-field concerns, the reason that he fell, the alleged assault on on a female, you can't excuse that sort of activity if it happened to be true. Mm-hmm. But but the fact that that caused him to fall into the seventh round, I think the Eagles got great value. And it would not shock me or surprise me at all 
if he pushes for a starting job in the secondary because they put him in with the first-team defense on the second-to-last practice of the mandatory camp, the mandatory minicamp back in June, and you look at the impact he had. He broke up passes. I believe he had an interception that day. They kept him there the second day. So I think that this coaching staff, when you look at Jim Schwartz, when you look at Corey Underlin, he... Jalen Mills did took more impact reps than Eric Rowe did during this spring, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him leapfrog Rowe on the depth chart at some point. I think it's going to be really interesting how that whole situation works out. I, I will say this. Now in the NFL, there's three spots for starting corners. You know, a yep. lot of teams run that three receivers, so you got to match up with it. They have, I think, four or five guys who can start. Ron Brooks is, is an interesting player. We'll see how he, he comes along once the pads come on. But when he you look like at, he has a nickel spot yeah, he, kind of on lockdown. He's more of a nickel. I, I, I don't want to say lockdown. I think he'll be in the mix. I, I think all of these guys will be in the mix, though. Sure. Because really what we saw, again, it goes back to just, just helmets. So you're not really seeing them get to press as much right. as they want to. You don't get they to can't play get bump and as run. physical at the line. And you look at a guy like Nolan Carroll, who who is a, a, a bump and run. You know, he's a press kind of guy. You look at McKelvin, he is. But Mills is also. Yep. And yep. watching him at the senior ball, I really saw him get physical with receivers at the line. So I, I remember think, the video that you posted. Yeah. I think it was on Vine where it was one-on-one drills. And and the receiver not only couldn't get off the line of scrimmage, but Mills put him on his back. Yeah, yeah, he put him on his back, and was and it was within the five yards, so it, it's not a penalty. Yep. <laughs> so you could get physical within five yards. But I think the arrow for Mills is pointing up because once the pads go on and you're allowed to be physical, it's only going to work more in his favor. But we'll see what happens when he goes against some of the bigger receivers. I can't wait to watch the matchup against Jordan Matthews. I can't wait. One-on-ones is just that. Oh, oh, it's going to be I great. cannot wait to watch them. Ruben Randall also. Yep. I, I did a post on him just how he could get off the ball. So I want to see uh, how he could work against Jalen Mills also. He's going to get his opportunities to, to get tested and, and see an assortment of bodies from uh, Chris Givens, a smaller, faster guy, to a shifty guy like a Nelson Aguilar, to a bigger receiver like Jordan Matthews. If you had to ask me, Teron, who is the rookie in this class to have the most immediate impact, it's Jalen Mills. Yeah. I think that Jalen Mills has the best opportunity to see the field right away. I think that Jalen Mills has the the chance out of any of these rookies to have a legitimate chance and opportunity to potentially lock down a starting job on this defense. And I think that he's a guy that fans really need to keep an eye on through training camp, through preseason this summer, and it really seemed as if he was in the good graces almost right away with Corey Undle and the defensive backs mm-hmm. coach and Jim Schwartz. Seems tailor-made to play in this scheme. Yeah, and when you come out of LSU with all the DBs that they've produced, I mean, you're clearly a guy who, who got really good coaching. You're going to be someone who's technically sound, but with him you have the athleticism that matches it. This is a guy, he said he patterned his game after – Tyron Matthew, you know, yeah. if you're going to pattern your as a Honey DB, Badger's a good one. If you're going to do it, you might as well do it like he does. So I, I really, like I said, I, I just I've been impressed with what Mills has been able to do so far. I can't wait to see them in the physical side of, of things. And uh, I mean, there's other guys too. I mean, you look at uh, some of the the receivers that came along. Xavier Rush. We talked about Wentz and throwing the ball deep. Yep. Well, most of the time he was throwing a deep ball. It was to Xavier Rush. Caleb Jones is a big body. 
he got I, I forget which DB it was, but he got him on on the double move and very smooth route runner pass, too. A, a smooth route runner knows how to use his big body. He was a guy that was very productive his junior year at Arizona. Was not as productive his senior year. Some quarter uh, quarterback problems, but he has the bloodlines too. His uncle Jeff Blake, man, the the, the mad bomber back in the Bengals days with Donye Scott and Carl Pickens. I had a good laugh with him about that. I was telling him how I, I used to use Jeff Blake and, and kill cats and Madden with him, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he has the bloodlines. And then you look at a guy like a Marcus Johnson. He he's a, a very he he's a balanced guy. I like how he's able to. To run his routes, he could get you yards after the catch. Defensively, Mike Tavares, I think, is another name you he have had a really to watch nice out spring. for. Yeah, he, had he, a nice he spring. was a guy that could could drop into coverage right. and and follow a tight end, track a tight end in the red zone, and he made a couple of plays doing exactly that yeah. during the OTAs. Yeah, and you know the thing with with him, I, I remember talking to him after the the NFL PA Bowl, and I, I just talked to him about just how. He has to change his style of play because he was a more on-the-line pass rusher yep. at Incarnate Word. But now with his size in the NFL, it's a little bit different. You're going to be required to drop back. And it's something that he hadn't done before, but he has all the athleticism you could want. And he's he's showing how he's able to be coached and molded into that type of player. Special teams is another spot he'll contribute. So Tavares, you look at Quentin, Quentin Gase too, uh, Quentin Gauss. I, I could all, I always mispronounce his name, but the, the Rutgers linebacker, yeah, hundred plus tackles. He's a guy that made plays all over the field too. So he's another one that could be an interesting uh, rookie on this team. I don't quite know that he makes the team. I think I he's probably a practice squad guy. I don't know how many rookie free agents guy. are legitimately in the mix to actually land a roster spot on, on this particular team, only because. Again, it's a new regime, but mm. you look at the talent that they brought in through free agency at competitive yeah, spots. Yeah. You look at where they're weak at certain positions like linebacker. Do you load up and bring a Quinton Gaze type onto your roster or, 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 you know, a Joe Walker who you drafted in the seventh round? Do, you, do they make the roster just because they're rookies? Or is that a spot where some of the players that are already in your program get cast aside and you're going waiver wire diving after the first or second rounds of cuts this summer. It's going to be fascinating to watch, yeah. Teron, but but I, I think that somebody's going to really need to separate themselves oh, in yeah. order to make this roster as an undrafted free agent. You, you have to make a play in every practice as an undrafted yeah, free point. agent. That's You have to do that. And if you don't, then you're just going to get pushed by the wayside. So there's guys that, that have stood out, but... It's it's going to be different when the pads go on, no doubt. You know, that, and, and it's a little bit different when preseason starts, and you're in front of forty five, fifty thousand fans in a preseason game when the bright lights are starting to turn on. Yeah, my guy Deshaun Golson, the former Forty Nine er, man, he used to always say that you got to get fresher under pressure, and he's right. And you either like get, that fresher, get under fresher under pressure, or you, hey, it's, it's all yours. <laughs> you either do that, or or you, you you melt. You know, and that's when the lights come on. That's really when you see what you have as a player. What these coaches are seeing right now, you know, it's that car that you just get to test drive. Sure. You didn't really get to take it out on the expressway, on the turnpike, and drive him and really get the feel on how it's going to feed back, feed back to you. And, and certainly some guys that the Eagles did have a chance to test drive and take out onto the open road 
that didn't pan out all that well. No. A lot of movement in the offseason and a lot of guys that have been no longer here. And as much as we're looking ahead to the rookies, it's also a great time to look back on some of the players that will be elsewhere in 2016. You're talking about the DeMarco Murrays, the Kiko Alonzos, the Byron Maxwells, all of those high-priced free agents that were brought in at the start of the Chip Kelly era when Chip Kelly wrangled away personnel control from Howie Roseman. Toronto, if I look at that bunch, I think that the one that's best suited to succeed, and this isn't going to be popular with a lot of people, is probably somebody like a DeMarco Murray Mm -hmm. who can go to Tennessee, no longer has to be the bell cow, no longer has to be the lead dog in that backfield, and can take a back seat to become part of a running back committee. Yeah, they're going to have a running back committee. They got Derrick Henry. So he's going to have an opportunity to be a mentor, uh, their running style is somewhat I don't know that I want him to be a mentor, by the way. Based I, on my experience <laughs> with him a year ago, if yeah. I'm Tennessee, I don't know how much I want him to be the mentor to Derrick Henry. Well, I think that's one of those situations where you're hoping that the better of the two options will work in your favor. Sure. You look at what he did the year before last, very productive. And he was even productive in the, in the years before he had that blow-up year uh, with the Cowboys right before free agency. He just has to stay healthy. I think in his case, you know, he he just has to kind of just de depressure himself. You know, just go in and and not feel like you have the pressure of of living up to a big contract yeah. like he did. I think that definitely contributed to it. Obviously there were other things, but he's just gonna didn't be, seem like a fit from it, it a, a it personnel was, standpoint. You, you don't, and you don't term, run him east and west. Right. And yeah. and that's where and I kind of fell into this trap last year, Teron, writing about it on NJ.com and certainly talking about it on my show on The Fanatic. It felt like in terms of Chip Kelly's system and what we had been sold is what you needed out of the running back in Chip Kelly's system was that one cut downhill runner. Yeah, yeah. You sign him to that big money deal, you bring him in here, you trade away LaShawn McCoy for Kiko Alonso. And then you run him east-west. That, that's just not his running style. And I think the frustration of the failure and not being used properly really went to DeMarco Murray, and it festered in the locker room, and that negativity grew and grew and grew. And it snowballed until ultimately, right before Thanksgiving, that's when I broke the story that Chip Kelly had lost the team, that mm-hmm. the veterans were no mm-hmm. longer buying in. Mm-hmm. And that's the, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned buy-in because that's what we talked about last week. And if you don't have that, you, you, you lost. You lost, and Buddy Ryan, you talk about buy-in. Yeah. Those guys, that window right there to your right, his players would jump right through that window out yes, onto they the would. street to for him, you know, and that's what you have to have. You have to have that buy-in. Another thing, you look at DeMarco Murray, he had the liberty to go to the front of the plane and sit down with the owner. Yeah. That, that could cause some friction. With, with some of the other players that don't have that liberty to do that. I think it might cause some friction with the head coach. Oh, without a doubt. A $45 yeah. million dollar contract, and you're going to go above my head and go to my boss? Bite the hand that feeds you. That's right. what he did. And, and, and then you look at some of the other names, some of the other guys that are no longer here. Kiko Alonso, that, that's a move that Eagles fans and people in the media debated as well when it went down because here's a guy that was coming off the ACL injury the previous year and, and was on a low-money, team-friendly contract. But I'll tell you this, Teron, that it didn't look like it was the injury last year that necessarily was hampering Kiko Alonso. Obviously, 
He did not even come close to resembling the player that you saw in Buffalo, but it felt like with the Bills, when he was in his heyday, he was an instinctual player, Mm -hmm. trusted his instincts, and and he was a guy that could plug a hole and and make a play run stuffing. He was a guy that could read a quarterback's eyes, make a play, and and have an interception. But you looked at him a year ago, and Kiko Alonso was somebody that hesitated. The instinct seemed gone, and the play that jumps out at me in a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what should have been a five-yard run at most by Doug Martin turned into a 95-yard touchdown run because Kiko Alonso bought into two jukes, couldn't commit to a hole, and, and let Doug Martin basically run all over and run by him and score a touchdown. Yeah, I think a part of that was the mental side of it, of the injury. And I, I don't think he was sure of himself, honestly. And when you're coming back from that type of injury – you know, one of the things that you have to be able to do is stick your foot in the ground and not worry about it. And I, I don't think that that's what happened for him. And it, that that's when you're a linebacker that you, your game is so predicated on speed and lateral quickness. If you don't have it, then it's 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 going to hurt you. It, you know, so we'll see what happens there. Byron Maxwell is another one that we definitely need to get into. No, no no doubt about it. And then you look at some of the other guys that are no longer here. Teron, who who's the player that you think could have the biggest impact outside of, of, of here in Philadelphia now that they've moved on? Oh. I'm going to go with Byron Maxwell, actually. I, I think that he's a fit down there in Miami. They needed a corner. And I, I really want to get into that um, a, a little bit more when we get – uh, our next guest on the show. Let's welcome in our next guest, Brandon Howard of Sports Talk Florida. He covers the Miami Dolphins, and he'll be able to give us a firsthand account for how Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonzo, who we were just talking about, making their transition away from the Eagles into the next phase of their NFL chapter. Brandon, appreciate a couple minutes. Thanks for hopping on the Beat the Press podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And now, Brandon, of course, you cover the Miami Dolphins for Sports Talk Florida and two of the Eagles' higher-priced mistakes, that being Byron Maxwell and uh, Kiko Alonso, playing with the Dolphins, now about to become centerpiece players potentially for that defense. What have been your first impressions of those two with the Dolphins so far this spring? Okay, uh, well, when it comes to Byron Maxwell, uh, he's a guy that uh, I think he really surprised some people with his ability to cover a lot of these speed receivers that the Dolphins have on the takeoff. Um, he's doing a really good job of anticipating routes, kind of cluing wide receivers. And when I say cluing, you know, that means recognizing their splits, recognizing the distance, you know, uh, between the splits and down in distance and knowing kind of what routes to anticipate from there. So he's doing a really good job of that and really sticking with these guys like Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, who ran a 4-340 at the combine, still has really good speed. And he's really sticking with those guys. So uh, he's having a great camp. And what they're doing is all the wide receivers that really want to get some good work during these uh, OTAs and the mini camp and and things of that nature, they're sending them over to Byron Maxwell's side. And he's doing a really good job on them. So with this defense, what Vance Joseph is doing out here, he's really just having these these cornerbacks get their hands on on the receivers and just kind of stay in front of these guys you know, and anticipate the route. And he's doing a really good job with that. So he's in a defense that really fits him. Uh, when it comes to Kiko Alonso, uh, it, it remains to be seen with this, this wide nine scheme, if this is something that's going to fit him. But one thing is for sure that kind of has stood out during many camps and OTAs is that his ability and coverage. Um, it, whatever was, you know, wrong with him in Philly, 
Uh, he, he seems to be doing a really good job sticking with these running backs out of the backfield and also covering tight ends. He's, he's covered Jay Ajayi stride for stride down the field and knocked away a deep ball. So, um, you know, the, these are things that, that, you know, they're coming to expect from him. And uh, when you play against the New England Patriots, uh, he's going to have to be on his A game. And he looks to be uh, right there, you know, ready to, to contribute and have a good year for the Dolphins. And I think that's what's going to happen. We'll see. Brandon, what's good, man? It's Teron. I, I like what you talk about with, with uh, Byron Maxwell. And right before you came on, he was actually – we were looking at the different guys that are former Eagles, and he was actually the one that I picked to have the biggest impact with his new mm-hmm. team. So it's interesting you mentioned that. I felt he was a fit also. But when you Absolutely. talk about uh, Alonzo, uh, we also discussed just – how when you have an injury, the mental side of it, you know, you, you have the physical recovery, but then mentally you have to be comfortable sticking your foot in the ground and, and, and making those cuts that you have to make, especially as a linebacker. When you watch mm-hmm. him, is that something, obviously you can't get in his head and you don't know, but is that something that, is there any hesitation with that? Um, you know, when, when and speaking firsthand from coming back from injuries, I, I, I personally know how that can be. And it's like, you know, the girlfriend that broke your heart and then, you know, you take her back and you don't know if you can really trust her again. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with knee injuries. You know, it's can I stick my foot in the dirt and be able to trust that knee again? And um, right now I'm seeing no hesitation from the guy. You know, uh, he, he's, you know, going out there trying to shoot gaps and, you know, um, he's got all the space to make plays because the front four, what they're doing, this is going to be a penetrating defense. So he's the outside read is taken away. That's going to be outside contained by the defensive end. So he's got all this space in the middle of the field to make the plays. So it's going to be on him to clean up and get a lot of tackles. These linebackers, it's set up for them to get a lot of tackles this year, and Kiko Alonso is going to be a big part of that as well. So, um, so far, he's looking good, and it looks like he's trusting his knee. When you look at the scheme that they're going to run down there, uh, obviously Sue is going to be a big part of that. He's a big contract guy you know he came to the Dolphins last year you look at the Eagles they have Fletcher Cox who just signed a contract that is very similar to Sue's what kind of impact do you see Sue having and can you just talk about how you could have an impact without having an impact in the stat sheet sure absolutely uh this is what a lot of uh people kind of got wrong last year when it when you look at the Dolphins uh we had one of the guys actually asked to you know, you used to be one of the best defensive tackles in the league. Well, you're not anymore. And I kind of scratched my head, and I said, you see this guy, you know, taking up multiple blockers? He, he's consu- – defensive – you know, offensive, offensive um, uh, coordinators, what they're doing is they're, they're scheming around him. Every, every play, you know, they're staying up late, <laughs> you know, trying to make sure that they, they have what it takes to scheme up Indominic and Sue. You know, he's taking on multiple blockers and everybody else is coming free, you know, because of him. So it doesn't matter what he's doing on the stat sheet. It's how he impacts the game because guys are really trying to, you know, see what they can do to to free, I mean, to to get, you know, their their running backs free because he's tying up multiple guys. So a lot of the times he was double teamed last year. I think that because this is a penetrating defense and he's going to get back to doing what he's done before in the past, Mm -hmm. Uh, this is something that he he's gonna you know really relish this year. So I expect him to get back you know on top of his game this year. 
Brandon, just getting back to Byron Maxwell for a moment, when you look at when he arrived in Philadelphia, he's leaving the Seattle Seahawks in that Legion of Boom secondary, signs the monstrous $63 million contract, and everybody's looking at him to be the savior of this defense and the centerpiece of that secondary. And early on, it became pretty apparent that he just was not that number one lockdown cornerback that many in the media and certainly many fans expected him to be. How do you look at him from that mentality with a fresh start again with the Miami Dolphins, not necessarily needing to quote unquote be the man and probably not going to face a lot of the conversation that he did last summer going into training camp when he was labeled one of the more overrated players and one of the more overrated signings. What's his mentality like with this fresh start with the Dolphins? He's very happy about the fresh start, but what I will say is that he wants to be the man, and they have told him that you are the guy. You are our number one corner. You know, so um, that's his job. He's going to get the best wide receiver every time out, and uh, he's expected to do a good job against the Sammy Watkins and the Brandon Marshalls of the world. So, um, you know, he, he's relishing this opportunity because he feels like he really, um, you know, did a disservice, you know, to, to – what he brings to the table, he didn't feel like he showcased what he was able to do uh, last year. And he feels like, you know what, that's an aberration. I'm ready to prove, you know, what I can really bring to the table this year. Brandon, I know you have a uh, affection for the <laughs> the running back position. <laughs> you played at West Virginia. The Eagles got a guy in the fifth round out of West Virginia. I know you've watched him in Wendell sure. Smallwood. Just sure. to wrap it up, what's, what's your take on Wendell Smallwood and how do you think he'll be able to excel in the NFL? Um, I, I like w- Wendell Smallwood a lot. Uh, when everyone was ranting and raving about uh, Kevin White, um, the guy that I kept, you know, keeping my eye on during the West Virginia that when I was watching West Virginia that year was was Smallwood. What stood out to me was his versatility, motioning in and out of backfield, lining up in the slot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's got excellent hands. And speaking to some of the staff there at West Virginia he worked with the wide receivers a great deal. So he has some detailed route running. You know, now the routes are kind of limited in West Virginia's offense, you know, but he he can, you know, he knows how to stick his routes, and the route detail is there. So, um, you know, that's something I really like about the guy. And he, he's shifty, you know. He's a very shifty guy, and he has some good numbers coming out of the combine. Uh, but, you know, I, he's a guy, as far as versatility is concerned, I feel like he has a really good shot at making the team and, and, and contributing because the more hats that you can wear, the better chance you stand of making a squad. And I really think that he has some really good things about him uh, that will, will serve him well going forward. One of the things that Peterson always mentions is his, his pass-catching ability. So uh, it, it's right in, in line with, with what you said. The versatility, I mean, when you could fill multiple roster spots with one position, your value right. increases tenfold. So that's an excellent point. Brandon, appreciate a couple minutes. Great insight. His name is Brandon Howard of Sports Talk Florida. He's the Miami Dolphins insider. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at S-P-R-T-S-T-L-K Brandon. That's Sports Talk Brandon on Twitter. Brandon, appreciate a couple minutes. Look forward to talking to you further up the road. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Take care. Teron, that was just tremendous insight from Brandon Howard, both on the transition being made by Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso.
Admittedly, I'll believe it when I see it in terms of Maxwell having that kind of impact just based on how much I believed he would have that impact here in Philadelphia and failed to live up to expectations. And who knows what the health is going to be like for Kiko Alonso. But having that second year removed from the injury should pay dividends for him. But it sounds as though both of those guys, from what Brandon has said, are ingratiating themselves very well into that Miami Dolphins system. Without a doubt, it, it seems like that's what's going on. And I, I'm glad he mentioned some of the things he mentioned with Maxwell because, like I said, you know, he was a guy I thought would, would have the biggest impact out of all the former Eagles. Kiko, it really is just being another year removed from that injury. and It's so much a, a mental thing when you're recovering from an injury. So to hear that he has no hesitation, that's a great thing for Kiko's part and you never want to wish bad on anybody. No. So, you know, I, hopefully he can get it back together and, and get back to the player that he once was. And we'd be remiss, Teron, if we didn't at least acknowledge and and remember Buddy Ryan following his passing on June 28th, one of the most beloved figures not only in Eagles franchise history but in NFL history and in Philadelphia sports history, a true character in the NFL and someone that ingratiated themselves to the Philadelphia market, the Philadelphia fan base, more so than maybe anybody. But he was the architect of the 85 Bears defense. He was the founder and the originator of the 46 defense. And in Philadelphia, he was the one that put together and built that ferocious defense during the late 80s and early 90s with Jerome Brown and Reggie White and Eric Allen and Andre Waters. Mm -hmm. So many of those guys gone from this earth far too soon. But Buddy Ryan, certainly one that was beloved by his players and, and one of the more legendary figures in NFL and Eagles history for sure. As we mentioned earlier that really to me more than his defense is his trademark the imprint that he left on players yeah Randall Cunningham what what he said just how you know we took on his personality that's what he said he said you know we we taking on his personality made us feel like we were more empowered and it gave us the swagger and the confidence that we even exhibit to this day so to me that's the most important thing because yeah granted the defenses, that 4-6 was ferocious. But the impact that he was able to have on men is even more important. And just what he was able to do with, with those guys. And you look, his son, you know, Rex Ryan, really has taken on that personality. He sure. approaches it the same way where he'll take the heat for his player. He just wants it to be as easy as possible for his guys to play football. He'll take the heat for everything else. And you can look at him as a talent developer on the defensive mm. side of the ball as well. I don't know how this ranks among NFL head coaches, but eight Hall of Famers, eight yeah. defensive players that he coached in the Hall of Fame, Reggie White among them. But you look at the players that aren't in the Hall of Fame. You look at Seth Joyner, who should, should be, be a Hall of Famer. You look at Eric Allen, who should be uh -huh. a Hall of Famer. There is a potential that when all is said and done, 10 former Buddy Ryan players could reside in Canton, Ohio. That's a testament to him as a coach. It's a testament to him as a mentor. But what I'll always remember about Buddy Ryan is just that intimidation factor and the attitude that he brought to <laughs> Eagles football. The, buddy, the, the body bag game. Yeah. Monday night against the Redskins. The Eagles blow him out. Brian Mitchell, and I wrote about this a year ago on the 25th anniversary of the body bag game. Brian Mitchell has to finish the game at quarterback for the Redskins. <laughs> Nine. 
Carolina Redskins injured and knocked out of that football game. That really cemented the reputation and the fearfulness that that Eagles defense instilled on opponents. That's always the first game you think of when you think of Buddy Ryan and his era with the Eagles. But I tell you, another one that stood out was the revenge game against the Cowboys. Oh, you yeah. Know. And at the vet, at the vet, Buddy told his guys. He, he said, "Either as a unit, you guys are going to not break the picket line or break the picket line, but whatever you do, you want to do it together." Yep. And as a result, nobody broke the picket line. That story is a little different for Dallas. And it it played so well in Philadelphia, a union town, a union yeah. stranglehold, yeah. that those Eagles didn't cross the picket line, that the Eagles didn't, you know, go in and beat up on scab teams like the Cowboys did to the Eagles right. earlier that year. So you know what happened. <laughs> it's so funny, you know, when you think back on that game, because Randall Cunningham is actually one of my favorite quarterbacks ever. Sure. And uh, just what he did, you know, the fake kneel down up by 10 and launched the ball. Hey, it, Tom Landry was mad about it, but it, it is what it is. You you, you got to make the sleep in the bed that, that you made and – that's the bed that the Cowboys made, and Buddy Ryan, never to be one to, to shy away from an opportunity to get back, did it. And what can you say about him? And, and you look at the, the hatred for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. You can talk all you want about that it was that defense and that Philadelphia is a lunch pail town and Buddy was a lunch pail coast, coach. No, the reason why people love Buddy Ryan in this town more than Andy Reid, who went to a Super Bowl, more than Ray Rhodes, more than many of the coaches on any of the four teams in this town. The reason why people loved Buddy Ryan, Teron, is because he despised, he hated the Dallas Cowboys right. as much or more than the, the Union Carpenter in the 700 level. And, and that was <laughs> illustrated not only in the running up the score game, but the Thanksgiving Day game at Texas Stadium, the Bounty Bowl, mm-hmm. where he put the bounty on Luis and Dejas. When Reggie White and the Eagles defense sacked Troy Aikman nine times, and the lasting image I have that I became an Eagles fan after was Reggie munching on the turkey leg, <laughs> talking to John Madden after yeah. the game. That's the game that hooked me. The body, the, the bounty ball hooked me as an Eagles fan. It's it one of my lasting memories of that entire era. Yeah, I mean, that was a great era. Just the whole way that that defense played, the offense, too. I mean, you got Keith Byers blasting. Pepper Johnson. Yep. You, you got Randall Cunningham, you know, just eluding tackles and launching the ball 60 yards down the field. I, I mean, it's it's it was a great era if you were an Eagles fan. And this team, you know, that they have now is, is an aggressive team. Maybe yep. they could get back to that defense-first mentality and, and that bully of a football team mentality. The, the path has been set. And growing up, those were my formidable years. Those are when you first started watching football, and it was so much fun to watch those Buddy Ryan teams and so much fun to watch that defense do its thing. So certainly, rest in peace to Buddy Ryan. No doubt. Thoughts and prayers to the family. Thoughts and prayers to, to the players that so loved him, and he loved them back. And Another image that I have, and it's not even Eagles-related, is that tremendous ESPN 30 for 30 on the 85 Bears. And that all of those guys, Singletary, Richard Dent, the refrigerator, all of those guys struggling to read the letter that Buddy wrote to them. And then the image of, of Singletary visiting him after he had his stroke and after he was confined to a wheelchair. And just that bond that Buddy shared with his players even years after both of them were gone from the league, just struck me as, you know what, the, he was one of the special ones. Definitely one of the special ones. 
Matter of fact, the Seth Joyner w- was on 97.5, I yeah. think it was yesterday. Yeah. And he, he mentioned how he and Clyde Simmons went to visit him. So it wasn't just the Bears. Right. And uh, that's just what we're hearing. Sure. You know, Bears and Eagles players. I, I'm certain that guys like Aeneas Williams from, from the Cardinals went to visit him. This guy had an impact on every single player that he came in contact with. And not only the players he came in contact with as his own players, Opposing players too. Yep, Phil Simms said that yeah. it, it was those playing those teams was nightmarish playing up against those Buddy Ryan defenses. But we will see how this defense stacks up. Certainly in September, a long way to go there. And we're looking ahead to the rest of this summer. He's Teron Davenport. I'm Matt Lombardo. Thank you again for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please follow us on Twitter at Beat the Press Pod. He's at T Davenport underscore NFL. I'm at Matt Lombardo nine seven five. Partner, we'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to the next Beat the Press podcast. Beat the Press, we the best.